2: Shut up and sing, or better yet, just shut up. By now you know that uh, Director of Homeland Security, Mr. Mayorkas, announced yesterday that he had put together something called the Disinformation Governance Board. But that's not the only contribution he made to contemporary government insanity. And now it's time for The Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. That's right. He had to appoint somebody to run this idiotic bureaucracy. And when he did, we were all exposed to this lunatic... Nina Jankowicz, and she emerged as a late winner this week because of this.
3: Information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. When Rudy Giuliani shared that intel from Ukraine, or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain, they're laundering disinfo, and we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice, or vote. Oh!
1: We're doomed. So this is the point of the show. We're going to say we're kidding, we're making all of this up. It's not really happening in the country you were born in.
2: Uh, that's right. Uh, they had to appoint somebody, and that was her. And we're doomed from that. Uh, that was from. uh I believe um, Tucker Carlson show last night that was lifted from. That's what he Tucker popped in there for a second. Thanks, Tucker. Nice to see you. Uh, anyway, um, that's the person you want to have deciding what is and is not disinformation. Uh, she called the Hunter Biden laptop story a fairy tale back in October of 2020. There are videos of her singing all over the internet, and she's another indication of how. People being equipped with their own personal video cameras is one of the worst things ever to happen to the human race. But anyway, it's obvious she she can't wait to get to work telling you what you should and should not believe. None of us could have believed that liberal censorship could come to this, but it has. And here's some information you can take to the bank, by the way. Nina Jankowicz is this week's Windows or Us Jerk of the Week. The Jerk of the Week is brought to you by Windows R Us, Pittsburgh's
0: premier exterior replacement company. Expert repair and replacement for
2: windows, roofs, siding, doors, gutters, and downspouts. Why pay double? Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. And when we come back, we're going to talk to our media expert, Jeff McCall, to see what he makes of all of this. And in our second half hour, how about this? A college kid... Who wrote a piece for the Federalist saying why you should not be forced to help him pay back his loan? Stick around.
4: Quote, "I'm not socially conservative. Mehmet Oz is a liberal on guns. Listen to him in his own words. How do we keep guns out of the wrong person's hands? Red flag laws. Even worse, Oz supported New Zealand-style forced government gun buybacks, tracking gun owners with universal licensing, and an assault rifle ban. No wonder Mehmet Oz confessed, quote, "I'm not socially conservative. Mehmet Oz, a Hollywood liberal and total fraud. Dave McCormick, he's an Iraq combat veteran with a bronze star. He's a proud son of Pennsylvania and a sportsman. Dave McCormick is a conservative who you can trust to stand up to the woke liberal mob and protect your Second Amendment rights. Honor Pennsylvania Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Paid for by Honor Pennsylvania Inc. HonorPennsylvania.com
1: this view was worth a hike
4: right
5: and it's a good way to stay on top of my health
1: yes i'm coligard a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk
5: Coligard is not a replacement for colonoscopy in high-risk patients. Do not use if you have had adenomas, have inflammatory bowel disease and certain hereditary syndromes, or a personal or family history of colon cancer.
1: Most insured patients pay $0. Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Cologuard is right for you. Or visit coligard.com.
5: I'm in. Are you wondering if this year you'll still be asking why it seems so easy for other people to find love but so hard for me? If you're feeling the pain of being alone and are tired of everyone around you finding their soulmates and leaving you behind, then get ready to remove the barriers to finding the marriage of your dreams and start believing it's possible for you. Hi, I'm Jackie Dorman. Join me in my Married in 12 Months Challenge, where I'll teach you why now is your time to find love, what are the lies that are holding you back, why God wants you to be married, the biblical law of attraction, and the tools you need to become a bride. Listen, if you deeply desire to be married, but you're still single, you should be doing something about it. Sign up for my free Married in 12 Months 5-Day Challenge at lovestories.com. The only thing you have to lose is the pain of being alone on your journey. So join me at lovestories.com. That's lovestories.com.
0: The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
2: the government coming up with something called the disinformation governance board doesn't scare you it should um unless you're living in communist communist china i guess where you would be expecting it but that's what the biden administration came up with and jeff mccall is a communications professor at DePaul university he's also a media critic for the hill and foxnews.com he has a column up now at the at the hill but uh jeff joins us now jeff thanks for coming on again as usual you're welcome great to be with you so what do you make of all this Well, I think they're trying to solve a
6: problem that isn't really there. Now, I mean, I know that disinformation floats through our society, but I'm not sure we need the government to help decide what's disinformation and what's not. I mean, the, the constitutional protections of First Amendment give people the right to say false things when you get right down to it, and we've always had enough confidence in the marketplace of ideas that rational people can sort out the in the accurate information from the inaccurate. And I think when the government's trying to get involved here, what they're really trying to do is force communication in a certain direction or to stifle voices that they don't agree with. And I'm just not sure we want the, the Homeland Security Office to be deciding what's disinformation and what's not. I know disinformation is a danger in our society, but I think most rational people can sort this stuff out on their own. And it struck me as weird that uh, when they announced this, they said that the focus is supposed to be on a regular mi- uh, irregular migration and Russia. And there are a couple of thoughts I had about that. Well, number one, disinformation is a problem that goes across many sectors of our national, our national dialogue. But they left out China, for one thing. Um, and it strikes me that Russia is really in their heads. But I am also just thinking... Let us sort this out. Let the marketplace fix these things. The federal government has lots of levers to get information out on their own, and they can use those levers to correct information that they see. But I don't think we need a governance board, number one, to tell us what they decide is false, because that's one of the issues here. Who decides what is the misinformation? And I'm not sure we want Mayorkas from Homeland Security deciding for us what's misinformation or not. Because for one thing, he showed up in front of a congressional hearing this week and told us that things were under control at the border. Yeah. All Right. right. Well, they're not. Right. And so in a sense, he already has to be sanctioned by his own disinformation governance board because he's telling us the border's under control and we know it's not. So a lot of things there to sort out and a lot of concern. but. You know, the constitutional framework said Congress shall make no law abridging freedom of speech or of the press. Mm-hmm. And we have an agency here now that is going to help try to decide for us what people are allowed to say and what not. And the other thing I think is, what are the sanctions? Yeah. You know, Do they have any clout to, like, say, oh, you promoted disinformation, what are we going to do about it? I mean, they really don't have any, you know, procedures to, like, punish anybody. What are they going to do?
2: Take your computer uh, break- away. They're going to break our pencils. You're not allowed to use your computer anymore. We're taking your phone, your computer, no more tweeting.
6: Yeah, but it's it's the chilling effect there that is the most concern. And I know Mm -hmm. that's kind of an esoteric, kind of lofty, theoretical thing. Yeah. But when a government starts imposing uh, what they think is right and what is wrong, you know that they're going to be doing it for self-serving, you know, manipulation and we can't really trust them and our constitutional framers for sure did not trust the government to make these kinds of decisions.
2: Yeah, well, we get to decide what's right and wrong. They don't. I uh, I um I, it's interesting because I I think it was just a few days yet just yesterday because of all this discussion and, and Elon Musk taking taking over Twitter and somebody I can't remember who it was now because I saw a bunch of stuff but uh and it was someone who's a pretty established person with a lot a good following on Twitter said Hate speech is not free speech, and how, I, I was stunned that anybody would be that stupid. That's exactly what free speech is. Yeah. It, it is it is the ability to, to 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 spew hate speech all day long if you want to. If somebody's yeah. perfectly free to sue you if they think you're you've libeled them or whatever, but you know the Ku Klux Klan is allowed to be the Ku Klux Klan, and that's a good thing.
6: Yeah, H- hate speech is indecorous and uncivil, but. It's certainly allowed by the Constitution, and the problem is here when we let government officials decide what is hate speech. I mean, you know, if I came on your program and said, hey, I'm a Colts fan, I really hate this, the Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah. you could say, oh, that's hate speech.
2: Right.
5: Okay,
6: well, that's just because you're a Pittsburgh supporter. Yeah. And that's the problem if you go on your social media and say, I hate Mayorkas, or I don't like the President of the United States. Well, in a sense, that's hate speech, right? You're right. And there are lots of ways to kind of sort that out, but I don't think we want the government doing it. We need to leave that into the marketplace, and most civil societies find a way to make that work. Mm-hmm. Now, social media has complicated that in a lot of ways, as you and I have talked about before, right. but I don't know that we need the government refereeing that on social media. And, you know, one thing that makes me think that this whole disinformation governance board is really a fool's errand is the person they put to oversee it?
2: I was just going to get uh, to that. Go ahead.
6: This is a this is a person named Nina Jankowicz,
2: mm-hmm.
6: um, who is a, is a highly partisan person, and I'm thinking, if you if you are serious about creating a disinformation governance board, you need to put a rational, sensible, well-spoken person in charge of it. Okay, mm-hmm. she is not. Right. Uh, and again, I, 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 I don't want to go too far down this path here, but. Number one, she works for a progressive think tank. So we know she's not coming here from like a nonpartisan, you know, balanced sort of view. But the other thing is in her past, she has been a peddler of the Russian collusion narrative. Uh, Before the 2020 election, she predicted that uh, Trump supporters would show up with weapons at polling places to Mm -hmm. discourage voter turnout. She's also a person who said, then when, uh, that when the Hunter Biden laptop story came out, that that it was a Trump plant and there was nothing to that story. So I'm thinking, this is a person who has actively engaged in disinformation <laughs> it's, on it's, her own. It's unbelievable. And she's being put in charge of deciding what's disinformation on a national level now, and that just makes no sense at all.
2: Well, it should make you feel good to know that, uh, and and her too, uh, whatever you say about her, she was the winner of this week's Jerk of the Week award to open the show today, so she has that going for her. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she'll be proud of that. Yeah. Now, she's 33 uh, years old, and, and she referred to the Hunter Biden story back in 2020 as disinformation, and now she's in charge. Just ridiculous. And uh, yeah, is, is it a coincidence that uh, this and she showed up about uh, 15 minutes after Elon Musk took over Twitter?
6: Well,. That's kind of an interesting coincidence that, um, you know, the government all of a sudden has its hair on fire that somebody they don't approve of uh, is going to be in charge of a major social media platform. Uh, and, and again, I want to expand beyond just Jankowitz and kind of like the fact that she, uh, she's not necessarily a good one to referee what's disinformation, because there are examples throughout the administration of the last year uh, and I, it sounds like I'm picking on the Biden administration, but we can go to any kind of government administration throughout history and find cases where their advocates have promoted things that were not necessarily on the up and up. OK, and that that includes Trump, that includes Obama, that includes George W. Bush. You know, they all spin things. OK, yep. but just in the last several of months the Biden administration, as I mentioned, Mayorkas talked about the border being under control earlier this week in congressional testimony, which presumably would be under oath. Uh, But remember, we've had his economic advisors for the Biden administration saying that inflation was transitory, which is not. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've also had the CDC telling us that people with natural COVID immunity still needed vaccines. And we now know that that's not the case. We've had people telling us that defund the police will not lead uh, you know, to more crime. Uh, we had Senator Schumer uh, in the Senate recently telling us that to curb inflation, the government just needed to do more spending. Yeah, that's right? a good idea. And yeah. we've had the White House press office saying that Joe Biden has never discussed Hunter Biden's <laughs> bis- business dealings on China. Now, I mean, you look through those things, I'm thinking, all that stuff should be right on the agenda of this new disinformation governance board, but I can bet you that none of those things are going to be investigated, but that you know, if you went on your talk show and said something uh, anti-government uh, or anti-Biden, or that that you you could get yourself on that radar real fast.
2: Yeah, and I have got to ask you, and we're talking to uh, Jeff McCall. He's the communications professor at DePaul University and uh, media critic for the Hill. You can find that uh, he's going to call him up there now at thehill.com. Um, I, I uh, <laughs> should, should we all be well? I'll put it this way. Um, should we all be suspicious of any, um, any media outlet that's not upset about this, outraged over this whole concept? You know, you raise a great
6: point. Uh, and, you know, Fox News and Newsmax and those kinds of right-leaning organizations are indeed running with this story and reporting about it, the New York Post, and they're upset about it. And my guess is many talk show hosts, in addition to you, are doing that as well but the new york times and the washington post they're they're ignoring the story altogether and i think that's one of the questions we should ask is why are they not covering this because any time a government entity is out to stifle the flow of information in the rhetorical sphere mm-hmm. that's bad that's bad for journalism that's that's bad for rational thought and bad for any civilized society and the fact that the government just flat out is saying oh we're going to create a government disinformation bureau should really raise you know, the, the the eyebrows of all media organizations, because media organizations have to be able to work in the free speech, free press environment. And they might, you know, the, the New York Times and the Washington Post might think, hey, this government disinformation board will never come after us, which is probably true in the short term. But they wouldn't want a government disinformation board set up if it were being set up by Donald Trump. No. You know, they would be raising Cain right now by saying, oh, you know, they're going to stifle our rights and they're going to step on us and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, well, the Biden administration has just done that. And, you know, right-leaning media will probably be concerned that they're going to get their rights stifled. And this is one of those old saws that if you're stifling anybody's rights, at a certain point, it's everybody's at mm. the same time.
2: Yeah. Uh, so we we're talking to, to Jeff McCall, and as I mentioned, you write uh, for The Hill every now and then. You did a piece, I guess it was last week, and we talked about it here. So you have a piece up there now about the Easter Bunny running yeah. inter- interference for Joe Biden. And you write, I think, uh, when that happens, when the Easter Bunny is running interference for the president, it's a pretty good sign the game is <laughs> game is over. <laughs> that, pretty, that should have uh, hit home pretty hard for people seeing that picture, huh?
6: Yeah, and uh, I mean, people remember that from the Easter egg uh, celebration they had at the White House several days ago. Yeah, And I must say, it it saddens me to have to write that uh, the thesis of the argument in the article was basically that reporters should stop lobbing questions at Joe Biden, uh, whether they're in press conferences or those press pool sprays or whatever. But basically, just he is not up to the task currently to be able to off the cuff, respond to reporters questions in an impromptu fashion. And when reporters do that now, we're just asking for him to make a gaffe or a misstatement. Uh, And Well, even yesterday, he had trouble just reading off the teleprompter.
2: He always does.
6: And so when reporters are lobbying these questions, really not much good can come out of it now, because uh, no matter what he says, people are going to have to take it with a grain of salt to like, well, did he say what is really the case? Or uh, does he know what he's talking about? Uh, And think of how many times just in the last five or six weeks, the White House has immediately had to walk back some of his impromptu remarks. Mm -hmm. And so when I say, let's have journalists just stop asking him questions, uh, it's, it's not to take a cheap shot at the president, but just to say, you know, in the marketplace of ideas in our rhetorical sphere, this is not moving us forward and in fact it's taking a risk that he's gonna say something really outrageous at some point that's gonna, you know, destabilize the economy or get the Russians stirred up or something else. Start World happen. War Three. Yeah, and I would just suggest to these reporters who need answers, by the way, I'm not dissing on reporters. Reporters have a job. to do; They have to get information. But I'd say if you ask a question of Biden, you're not going to know whether the information you get from his response is going to be sensible or not. So my advice to the reporting world, particularly the White House press corps, is to say, let's stop trying to yell questions at the president. He doesn't handle these situations well. Uh, And in fact, we have evidence of that and that his own White House handlers are trying to keep him out of these situations, right? Yeah. Um, But instead, go ask questions. Find the secretary of state. Find the secretary of defense. Find the secretary of commerce. Ask them the questions that you would otherwise otherwise ask Biden. And then you can at least say this came from somebody uh, who's presumably in a position to be able to respond sensibly and Hopefully the information they give won't have to be walked back ten minutes later by a White House press secretary.
2: I have about a minute left, and I just want to tell you, uh, as, as a, someone who uh, read from a teleprompter all my life, worked in TV, and I now teach kids in college how to um, write and, uh, for a teleprompter and read from one, uh, Joe Biden, just the other day, and you gave, gave the example, a perfect example yesterday. When someone has that much trouble with a teleprompter, He either has he had nothing to do with what went into the teleprompter or he's uh, completely incapable of of having a coherent thought. It's not possible to be that bad with a teleprompter without one of those two things.
6: And neither one of those things is good for the American public
2: (laughs) Uh, to, to put him in that situation. And one thing I'd add to
6: that is the people who work in the White House who are preparing Biden's remarks for him and setting him up for the teleprompter. They are going to have to do a better job of writing his material for him because they cannot put multiple syllable words in there. They cannot put long sentences in there, and they cannot put complex ideas in there. They need to make his remarks very straightforward and very simple, and he needs to go out, read them as best he can, and turn around and leave.
2: And uh, I think you'll never see the word kleptocracy in in the... In Another one of his uh, addresses again. That, you're, he... you're right on that one. <laughs> hey, Jeff, thanks a lot for being on, as usual. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that's Jeff McCall, communication professor at DePaul University. You can read his piece up at the Hill, and I'll be right back.
4: With SRN News, I'm John Scott. The mayor of the Ukrainian city of Mariupol says those hiding at a massive steel mill are running out of food, water, and medicine. That steel mill is the last position held by Ukrainian fighters, who are also with civilians. The U.S. House has given final passage to legislation that would streamline a World War II-era military Lend-Lease program. Republican Representative French Hill of Arkansas says the revival of the program sends a powerful message. Winston Churchill... Thought up the idea of Len Lease. He talked uh, to his essential partner in the very
6: special transatlantic relationship, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, into this concept. Roosevelt sold it to the Congress, and it is a real moment in history that, that we are back on this House floor supporting Lynn Lease.
1: This is SRN News. I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. AM 1250, The Answer. The Mike Gallagher
0: Show.
7: He's your happy conservative warrior. Linda, you got to be going out of your mind with your city's stupidity. I'm in Philadelphia, and I can't believe that we are the only city in the entire country that is this stupid. It really does validate our theory that Democrats are imbeciles.
0: The Mike Gallagher Show, weekdays at 9, right before Dennis Prager at noon on AM 1250, The Answer. Whose rulebook do you want to play by, the government's or your own? This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Without a proper estate plan, many families end up playing by the government's rulebook and losing a lot of what they'd intended to leave to their families. That's why Abernathy and Hagerman presents free, ongoing estate planning workshops with attorney Dan Reimer to help you protect what's yours and make sure the government plays by your rules. The next one's happening soon.
7: is, Relief Factor can help. I've never looked back. Almost 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it works for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick start for the discounted price of only nineteen ninety five. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800 for relief to find out more about this offer. That's relieffactor.com or call 800 for relief Feel the difference.
0: AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP. Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in. iHeart or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer.
3: The number of jam ops out there. Parkway East on the inbound side. Pretty solid William Penn Highway down to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Delay getting close to about an extra 20 minutes. Outbound tying up between Glenwood and the tunnel. Parkway West, outbound trip Banksville Road to Carnegie. At least a 10-minute delay. Outbound 28, slow go between Butler Street and the Highland Park Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson.
0: AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. It'll be cold tonight with a starlit sky. Tonight's low thirty-seven. Sunshine tomorrow will mix with a few clouds. And despite a chilly start, expect a milder afternoon. We'll reach a high tomorrow of sixty-seven. Partly cloudy tomorrow night with a low of fifty-one. Sunday cloudy with a couple of showers of a thunderstorm. We'll reach a high Sunday of sixty-seven. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. This is the John Stackerwald Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer.
2: Well, Joe Biden uh, threatened again yesterday to make us all pay back loans that we didn't take out. It's not a matter of if your money is going to be uh, confiscated from you to help pay back student loans. It's just a matter of how much Joe thinks he can get away with and how much he thinks it'll help Democrats get votes a few months from now. Sean Fleetwood is a senior at the University of Mary Washington. Uh, that's in Fredericksburg, I believe, and an intern at the Federalist, and he says he doesn't want you to repay, uh, repay his loan. He joins us now. Sean, thanks for being here. Hey,
8: John. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
2: So, um, first of all, Mary Washington, University of Mary Washington, I looked it up. It's named after uh, George Washington's mother, right? Correct. That's interesting. Okay. I just wanted to check yeah, I'm on that. i
8: surprised they haven't uh, changed the name of the school yet.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. It's coming. Believe me. Uh, so, so why are you turning down free money?
8: I'm turning it down because
2: when I, four years ago, I'm about to graduate next week. So very
8: excited about that. But, uh, when I, four years ago, decided to go to college, I made it a personal decision that, you know, this is my responsibility and I'm taking out these loans in my name. And so it should obviously be me the one to repay them. It's always been, you know, kind of how I was raised. You want something, you earn it. And over the past four years, I've really, you know, not to pat myself on the back or, you know, self-aggrandize or anything, but I've really worked hard, you know, part-time jobs, um, applying for dozens of scholarships, you know, kind of working my butt off to pay for school. And now you have Uncle Joe saying, oh, well, we're just going to, you know, disperse this out amongst the population. They say cancel student debt, but it's not really canceling student debt. You're just transferring the responsibility from individuals who have either chose not to go to college or those who did and have worked off or are working off their
2: student loans. It's kind of a wild concept there, Sean. You know, pay back a loan yeah. you took out. Come on, is this a radical thing on campus these days?
8: Yeah, <laughs> Personal responsibility. It's uh, sadly something that's um, flipping away in our culture, I think, but um, hopefully... You know, people like me can start to kind of bring it back.
2: Well how many of your uh, fellow generation your generation Z, right? I get I lose track of the generations. You're Z, right? Correct. You know, how, Correct how, yes. how how many of your fellow Generation Z college student friends agree with you on this?
8: Um very few. <laughs> um it's actually pretty interesting. So I took an American public policy course this past semester and we were talking about education and things like student loans. And my professor was talking about the different positions between liberals and conservatives and kind of talking about, you know, personal responsibility, being a conservative viewpoint, how it's our responsibility to pay back these loans that we took out. And he said, Oh, I see a lot of you are shaking your heads No. Um, Which doesn't really surprise me. I go to a pretty liberal school. as I'm sure a lot of uh, conservatives do. Um, just given the status of higher education. But, um, yeah, it's it's not a popular opinion amongst my age group, that's for sure.
2: So uh, Joe Biden um, uh, proposing this, it's it's it should get him a lot of votes among people your age and um, maybe a little older, people who are in the early days of paying back their loan?
8: Yeah, I, th- I really think that that's the goal here. I mean, Joe Biden, as I'm sure your listeners know, it's completely underwater in the polling, even in, you know, left-friendly polls like Quinnipiac, he's down under, specifically with Generation Z, and I think this is really a bribe, in a way, to kind of garner that votes back and kind of get some of the Democratic base excited for the midterms.
2: And what about the, uh, the faculty and uh, just the, the general feeling among the, the non-students at the school? Um, does any, does, is it ever discussed? The, the uh, loans and how that, that you know, is, are there are there profs down there saying, yeah, this is good. You guys deserve to have these loans canceled or or has it even come up in, in a classroom situation?
8: It's, it's never really come up for me. Um, I was fortunate enough to have kind of a balance, surprisingly or not, of, you know, conservative and liberal professors. I definitely have had those liberal professors who do push their views in the classroom. Uh, but student loans have, has never been really a topic that's come up in
6: discussion.
2: You did a lot of good research for your piece, and we're, we're talking to Sean Fleetwood. He's a senior at the University of Mary, Washington, and he's also an intern at the Federalist. Uh, we've had them, uh, uh, a few interns come on here, and they're always uh, really good writers and good on the radio, and you're right there with them, Sean. I appreciate you doing it. But um, you, you. you did a lot of good research for your piece, and you came up with some good numbers. For instance, how many people who didn't go to college are going to be forced to pay for the kids who did?
8: Right. So these are numbers as of 2020, so they are bound to have changed. But roughly uh, 37.5% of Americans, 25 years old, have some form of a college degree, whether that's associates, bachelors, masters, you know, all that kind of stuff, which means that roughly two-thirds of the country did not go to college. So you're going to force the two-thirds to pay off the loans the one-third that did decide to go, but what's even more interesting than that is when you get into the financial breakdown of people with college degrees. So there was a study conducted by this uh, financial lending company called Earnest um, that analyzed, you know, the average debt um, per degree and what, I guess, the more expensive degrees were and who holds most of the debt in the country with respect to student loans. And what they found was that it's people in professions that are making three figures, like medical professions, um, you know, business administration, law degrees, uh, you know, the people making three figures. So when you hear people like Senator Elizabeth Warren come out and rail against the rich and the upper class, she's also at the same time championing student loan forgiveness. So what she's essentially doing is bailing out the very people that she wants to pay more in taxes. It's very uh, interesting to say the least. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, the number you had there is uh, uh, people making over $74,000 owe oh, almost 60% of the of the loans that are out there. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you get the impression when you hear Joe Biden and, and other liberals, uh, Democrats, talking about this, that this is going to be a, a great break for the poor, downtrodden students who are – um, a wash in debt, and they really need this help to get out and it 's a totally false narrative then isn 't it?
8: yeah, absolutely. I mean, the people that they 're claiming that they're helping is the exact opposite group because you 're forcing those people to essentially pay for the upper middle class and the high income groups who can't afford to go to college, um, so you know this false claim that, oh, we're helping the poor people um, of America, you know, who took out these student loans, who, you know, worked their butts off. No, you're actually forcing the people who you claim that you're helping, you're actually forcing them to pay off the loans for the high-income groups.
2: Now, uh, what's the, uh, at the University of Mary Washington, what is the breakdown male-female? It's
8: majority female school. I would say it's probably somewhere around 60% female,
2: 40% male. Uh, and um, how do you, do you detect a difference in um, men and women and how they feel about this issue?
8: I mean, universally, I would say because we are a very liberal school, that a majority of them, uh, both men and women, do favor some form of student loan forgiveness, but I would say women are more likely to favor it than men, um, and we're kind of seeing that play out in the polling um, with older generations and you know kind of the suburban housewife that still largely favors the biden presidency so uh, very interesting correlation there
2: yeah and uh, so the the rich are benefiting the most uh, of course so how are you going to pay off your loans i mean how much i, I don't you don't need to give me numbers of course but uh, how are you going to pay them off and what kind of debt are you going to be looking at when you get out?
8: so as I mentioned earlier i 'm uh, graduating next week and uh, over the past the past four years i 've you know worked part time jobs and applied for scholarships and i 've been fortunate enough to receive some pretty good scholarships um, for instance, my entire senior year was paid for uh, with scholarships that I had applied for um, so right now i 'm looking at once I get out of school, about thirteen thousand in student loans, which is very small number compared to some of my friends who went to bigger schools like UVA and Virginia Tech and
6: stuff like that
2: well what how much work did you have to do in order to uh, be uh, eligible for those scholarships? how much uh, How much of that is based on you being repaid for work that you've done, either academically or otherwise? So a lot
8: of it was um, academic stuff, like they take into account extracurriculars and job, like whether you have a part-time job and stuff like that. A lot of it was academic-based. So because I'm going into political science and journalism, I was able to apply for those scholarships that were more aimed towards that. Um, So most of it was academic, um, from what I received.
2: Okay, and and so you're not. This is not something that's worrying you a lot. That when you get out, you're gonna need Joe Biden to bail you out.
8: No, not at all. If I needed Joe Biden for anything, I'd be very concerned.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like this sentence from your piece. And again, we're we're talking to Sean Fleetwood. You can find his piece at thefederalist.com. He's an intern uh, and a senior at the University of Mary Washington. Um, This is a sentence that you wrote, quote, if Biden gets his way, however, all that tenacity and dignity of work will have been for nothing. I got a feeling that There are not a lot of people on campus who buy into that.
8: No, not at all. I think that campus, again, just provides a bubble for these kids. I think that they don't really understand how the real world is supposed to work. And, you know, we talk about canceling student loan debt. Well, why don't we apply that to other issues? Why not car payments? Why not mortgages? I mean, the list is never ending if you really want to get into it. But I don't think a lot of these kids understand the value of hard work and how A lot of people in America understand the value of personal responsibility and that when they take on, when they sign their name to something like taking out a student loan, they understand that it's their job to repay that. And if that means working multiple jobs or working overtime or making certain sacrifices, you know, to spend when it comes to missing out on time with friends and family, these kids don't understand that. And I think that we really need to instill that uh, back in younger generations.
2: Yeah, that's called principle principle. Uh, going, you know, yeah. uh, following principle. Um, so well, I, I just, it's interesting to me to be talking to a college student because I, I also teach some classes at a local school here. Uh, and I find uh, the, the, the school that I'm teaching at is, uh, for people listening, it's Waynesburg, but it's a, it's a small Christian uh, college. And I do find that most of the students, and I, I'm dealing mostly with Mm-hmm. uh men because of the courses i'm teaching and their uh sports announcing and things like that but anyway i find them to be conservative um is it hard to find a conservative uh, not only just on your campus there at the university of mary washington but other places uh, when you go home from you know on break uh are do you find your friends who maybe you knew and liked in high school coming home as indo- indoctrinated liberals
8: Um, a lot of my friends are liberals. I wouldn't say that they're to the degree of someone like AOC or, you know, a Bernie Sanders type. Um, I would say that more of the middle of the road, um, people, you know, that kind of ideology, more independently minded, um, you know, more centrist liberal, I would say, I think they are starting to, I don't know if wake up's the right term, but they're starting to see a lot of the problems with the left in this country and how far that they've gone, Um, You know, my aunt, for example, she was someone who was not into politics at all. And, um, you know, she has two daughters who play sports and she's seeing all of this radical transgenderism that's being pushed um, when it comes to men and women's sports. And so that's really pushed her into the conservative camp. And so I really think that people who are more middle of the road, who aren't necessarily overtly political, whether it's young people, old people, I do think that the way that the left is handling themselves and pushing this radical neo-Marxism, I really think that that's starting to wake a lot of people up to like, okay, I can't just sit on the sidelines any longer. I have to be involved and start paying attention more.
2: Yeah, there's a feeling out there that uh, the Democrats have um they 've jumped the shark a little bit on this uh, with the, with the transgender stuff and and um and now coming out with uh the uh, the disinformation management whatever they 're calling it the board or whatever it is um and does the average college student that you 're not just on your campus but you know the average person that you know your the people you run with do mm-hmm. they really pay a lot of attention to this stuff? Or in our, oh. and as you said, they're starting to, but more maybe notice what's going on. But uh, you know, like the women that you know, the young women who are in school with you, when they when they hear about Leah Thomas, what kind of reaction do they get?
8: Um, they really don't play, pay that much attention to politics, um, which I think is a mistake because I think you know our founders gave us this country. And we're supposed to be active citizens. And when people hear the term, you know, do your civic duty, they just mean, oh, let's turn up to the polls every two to four years. But the founders really meant being an active citizen and engaged. Um, And a lot of, you know, the young women that I know aren't really political. Um, The ones that are tend to lean left. Um, But I haven't really discussed, you know, the transgenderism stuff with them that much. So I don't really have a take on that, unfortunately.
2: So it's not an issue on campus there. They're not talking about having uh, um, multi-gender curriculum and, 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 you know, just the usual bathroom stuff. Uh, uh, You know, is there any of that going on there?
8: Well, there definitely is. That um, just the circles that I run with. It's not a, a topic of conversation, but on campus broadly, yes, um, they have general gender neutral bathrooms yeah. in one of the um, buildings that I uh, had classes in. Uh, and I walked in the bathroom and I was there was a girl standing there and I was like, oh, did I walk in the wrong one? And she's like, oh no, this is just a gender neutral bathroom. So there definitely is that push. Um, the Black Lives Matter stuff was a big deal on campus. Um, back in 2020 um so yeah that stuff is definitely going around just not necessarily in the circles and people that I surround myself so, with
2: so that's interesting to me a gender neutral bathroom cuz that's something it'll, I'm sure it's uh, popping up on a lot of campuses so i <laughs> i want to just i want to pursue that a little bit you what's what happens when you walk into a bathroom and you're a guy and there's a girl there what are you supposed to do you're supposed to leave even though it's determined that it's neutral neutral gender, are you supposed to just go about your business, so to speak? uh, uh, Or are you supposed to show some deference and leave?
8: I mean, I leave just out of principle.
2: Yeah. (laughs)
8: Because I don't think men and women should be sharing bathrooms. Um, But I I just, I don't know. This is stuff that's just gone so off the rails in the short time that I've been alive. It's just (laughs) insane to me how when I was, you know, like eight or nine years old when Barack Obama... Was running for office and he believed in traditional marriage, allegedly. Yeah. And now here we are, you know, whatever number of years later, and we're talking about infinite number of genders, oh, yeah. men using women's bathrooms. It's just insane to me how
2: far things have gone. Yeah. Uh, so, what are you going to do when you get out? What What do you? What's your What's your major again? I'm majoring in political science and minoring in journalism. Uh, the You're dangerous, is there, I, Sean. Very dangerous. A conservative majoring in political science and journalism. You better watch out. Go ahead. Sorry. What do you want to do when you get out?
8: Uh, I want to become a journalist. Hopefully that's the goal. Um, So there's anybody out there hiring, I'm always available. (laughs) Uh, But I've really uh, enjoyed the opportunity of writing with the Federalist and interning. Um, The team that I get to work with is just an incredible group of people, you know, Sean Davis, Molly Hemingway. And sometimes I really have to pinch myself uh, getting to be a part of this team. It's really an incredible honor. And so whatever the future holds, I I put all the trust in God um, to, you know, put me where I'm supposed to be. But uh, I'm very uh, thankful for where I am right now.
2: Sean, I, I wish I had been as sharp and as ready to go to work when I was uh, your age and a week from graduating as you are uh, you are on your way my man great stuff hope people find your stuff at the Federalist Sean uh, Fleetwood and uh, good luck when you graduate and thanks for coming on the show and look out I might call you again
8: (laughs) thank you so much
2: John God bless All right, and we'll be right back
5: nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule changing the world one life at a time
0: this product is life-changing and i tell
6: everyone what a blessing down to nature fruits and vegetables it's amazing absolutely phenomenal i'm telling you right now this is an
0: amazing thing 30 days after taking this everything is, is perfect i could not be more happy. what a blessing so good job, Balance of Nature.
8: Good
5: job. Get a wide variety of all your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 800 That's 800-246-8751. Or by going to balanceofnature.com and make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code balance.
3: Remember that first paycheck when you started working all those years ago? You were finally out on your own, earning money. You looked at the net amount and thought, whoa, what happened here? It could be this way with your retirement accounts. You know how much you've saved, but if you haven't planned for the IRS, you could come up short in retirement. With tax laws constantly changing, there's a lot you need to know to make sure you're not paying more than your fair share. Roy and Jason Locks and the Synergy Group team can help. They will help you create a retirement plan that shows you how taxes could affect you now and in the future. To receive your complimentary tax analysis, call 412-673-7760. Make sure you know how these changes could affect you so you can avoid paying more to the IRS. Request your complimentary tax analysis today. Call 412-673-7760. Securities offered through JW Cole Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through JW Cole Advisors. JW Cole Financial and JW Cole Advisors are not affiliated with the Synergy Group, Inc. The Synergy, Group Inc. may not give tax advice. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
2: Hey, you've heard about 2,000 Mules. That's the uh, explosive new movie from Dinesh D'Souza, who was a guest on this show yesterday. It was executive produced by Salem Media Group, and it tells the story of the people who tried to hijack the presidential election in 2020 and exposes the jaw-dropping evidence about what really happened back then. And uh, so the truth has finally been exposed. Thousands of people around the country are already going to the nationwide theatrical release. I actually heard from someone today that uh, one of the local theaters near me has already sold out for next week. But in case you missed it or if you want to see 2,000 Mules again, watch the special virtual event. From the comfort of your home on May 7th, you can see the movie that President uh, Donald Trump calls a real blockbuster. And uh, you can participate in a live audience Q&A with Dinesh D'Souza, Larry Elder, and other people. And you can watch on any device with a browser. Showtime is 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on May the 7th. You should visit 2000mules.com to get your tickets today. It's a -a one-of-a-kind virtual event. That's the number, dot mulescom Okay, I got about uh, a minute or so left here. I got to talk about uh, Mel Kuyper. I watched the draft last night, and I like to finish sometimes on Fridays with a little sports story. Everybody knows Kenny Pickett was drafted by the Steelers. If you care, you know. If you don't care, it doesn't mean anything to you, but... I'm fascinated by Mel Kuyper. He has been making a living and a good living since 1984, analyzing the draft for ESPN, okay? He does this 365 days a year. That's that's his life, is analyzing the draft, and people tune him in, and ESPN pays him lots of money to predict who's going to draft whom, what round they're going to go in? He does mock drafts that includes. I think he's still. I think he's still doing like all seven rounds, picking who's. It's just ridiculous. So he he picked the thirty two guys for last night, and out of thirty two guys, he got six right. Now remember, he did. He spends all year working on this. He's a he's sold as a gigantic uh, um, expert on this. He got six right out of thirty two. Mel Kuyper could have started working on that yesterday after lunch, and he would have gotten six right. I, if I would have spent three hours yesterday or less working on it, I would have got at least six right. But you know what? I think it's great that Mel Kuyper has pulled off the scam. I don't begrudge him one dollar. He's been doing this for 38 years. Keep it going, Mel. You're having a good time. You're fooling him. Great job. Talk to you Monday.
0: The John Stagerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets.
3: He was one of the most respected generals in the military.
1: Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors.
0: This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn